Eight points from safety, full-time boos and more Premier League woes. But at least it wasn't 7-0. And at least we actually saw Norwich City score a goal at Carrow Road. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast, where we are reviewing a 2-1 defeat to Leeds, an eighth defeat in 10 games for the Canaries, their third goal of the season. As I said at the top of the show, eight points adrift from safety already after 10 games. Joining us is Paddy Dabbitt and Adam Harvey. We also come to you in association with Future Radio 107.8 FM. Boys, how are we doing? Pad, if I come to you first, how are you feeling the morning after it all, really? It, it, unfortunately, it's just an unfamiliar... Uh, it's, unfor- unfortunately, it is a familiar feeling, I should say. <laughs> yeah, in the Premier League anyway. I mean, my professional spanning of Norwich probably goes back to, well, the Lambert years, really. So very, very Pepe Mel, West Brom for me yesterday in terms of Chris Hewton's sort of end of days. Although, you know, uh, there was no clap banners to throw at Chris Hewton, uh, to Daniel. So that, that, was a, that was a positive. But just a resignation uh, in the stadium, uh, almost an acceptance uh, hung heavy in the air at the final whistle, a few boos inevitably, but you know, are the fans even past getting angry and uh, and upset about it? Which I contrasted with the Watford game earlier in the season, another to quote Daniel game that they need to be picking points up in that was felt a lot more toxic. And uh, I think Daniel himself was quite shocked by the reaction at the final whistle on that day. Um, yesterday, it's just more, more of the same, really, and um, and that. That ultimately probably underlines where the club is at the minute, on and off the pitch. That uh, you know, it feels there's just a sense of drift, um, and that they're basically edging back to the championship really without too much of a whimper, which would be for all, all the all the optimism going into the Premier League again under Farker and Weber, uh, and that outlay, which for Norwich was considerable in the summer, even if you subtract Emmy Buendia's. Uh, feel it Kevin the other way but for all of that optimism and it won't be the same this time around and uh, we have learned lessons and our recruitment will reflect that um, and our approach or uh, you could almost argue at this stage it's probably worse than two seasons ago because at least they this time two seasons ago they they had a go and they had all that optimism and the playing style was very familiar from what swept them to a championship title and we'll get into it in due course but this isn't Daniel Farker that, that anybody recognises really in terms of how he's setting his teams up, what he's asking them to try and do. Um, and other players are now struggling to kind of get to grips with what feels like quite a, a marked sea change. With each passing game, um, it feels like, you know, maybe, you know, he's um, he's just doubting himself now and uh, and he's almost, he's, he's in a bit of a fog and a fog and, uh, and, and he doesn't have a clear path through and, and that's, that's coming through large in terms of the performances of the team. You know, he's talking yesterday about the quality, not good enough at either end of the pitch. You'd have to say the quality off the pitch in terms of what you can lay at his door isn't good enough either. You know, he isn't extracting the maximum from the resource he's got available. Whatever you want to debate about how good that resource is, he should be getting more out of that group of players. And like I say, the U-turn in terms of approach and style, um, it's not, it's not working. So, uh, you know, we we don't really want to make this an hour-long discussion on Daniel Farker's future because the issues are much bigger than that. But uh, but it does feel very much like an end of era incoming. 
Yeah, there was a resignation to it, definitely more more than an anger, because you know it, it was obviously better than the seven nil, wasn't it? And wasn't against Chelsea for a start, but they 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 did manage to do some things better, but still just looked like they weren't really a, a Premier League team, like they were short of the quality that was going to be required for that. Um, now, uh, just to remind you, Adam is our new video uh, man. You'll be seeing and hearing much more from him in in the months ahead. Um, how did you sort of read the uh, read the reaction at the full time whistle, Adam? I think obviously it was a, a very well negative response in general from the fans, which is to be expected, you know, 10 games already this season and not a single win on the board yet. And obviously this is a, a record that's spanned over really two Premier League seasons under Daniel Farker, where was it? I think it's five wins over 30, uh, 48 games now in the Premier League under Daniel Farker, which is that's a pretty terrible record. And I don't think you can really back that as a fan. You know, Norwich have always notoriously struggled in the Premier League, but not to this extent. I mean, there was no identity from that team. You know, we saw it under... They're usually pretty good with the ball, um, passing it around, and it just felt like a, a lump up the pitch, and there was no one up there to hold it up. So, Omelie just got lost, and we just allowed Leeds to, to come on to us and, and Omelie go at our defence, which has been pretty weak this season if you look at the, the goals against record. So, yeah, the response, I think, was probably to be expected, and I think you can see it through social media that, you know, people are, are starting to disconnect from Daniel Farker, which is, which is sad, obviously, for everything he's done for the club, but Omelie, yeah, the Premier League record, you know, speaks for itself. It is sad, isn't it? Um, there will always be that affection for Farker. We'll see, you know, it's not ended yet. He, he'll he still be desperately trying to turn it around, of course. But, um, you know, that, that that is kind of how football works, isn't it? That sometimes eras reach their end and a fresh start is needed, fresh voices, fresh leadership. So we'll see that might be where, where we end up. But um, 68% or, uh, or their pass rate completion, uh, pass completion rate, sorry, was 68% uh, which is for them very low. So, following on from what you're saying, there, sort of the the Farker ball elements just just aren't there in amongst it all, are they? You put out a little clip on on the Pink and Twitter feed as well, didn't you? Of Daniel saying about it was um, it was a good performance. There was great spirit, etc. Um, that uh, but we couldn't do it in in either box, and that that really generated a quite angry response, didn't it? Yeah, there was. Uh, I think I think it's about twenty three thousand people have already viewed that clip, and you know, there's been a lot of kind of people saying how is that a good performance you know if you're gonna if you're gonna put in a good performance you need to win the game or I mean ultimately you could be a good performance but I don't think that was a good performance personally I've seen you know Norwich teams down the years that have to me put in good performances and got results and the fact he's writing off games against the top the top you know three four sides and you look at you know Crystal Palace going to Man City at the weekend and, and getting a result and I just can't see you know how you can be a manager and write off those kind of games and then also come out and claim that that was a good performance Hmm. I mean, Pat, that's not that's not keeping standards very high, is it? It's not setting a high bar to come out. All right, if you want to say that to the players in the dressing room, that you know, I was pretty happy with your performance on the whole. Yes, these these are things I want you to work on. But to come out and say that to the fans in the current situation, you can understand why some people are going to get frustrated with that. Yeah, but but as you say, I think a lot of that is just almost trying in his view, the positive messaging, but you've got to read the room and, and the way he was delivering it. I mean, he, that's as downbeat and as downcast as I've seen him in a in a post-match setting before, which to me ultimately says, as he lost faith in his methods and, and his players and that he can't see the wood for the trees, that he's, he's trying things and, it, and it's discernibly not working. Um, because I think, you know, if you were maybe to speak to him in a, in a, in a, a quieter, private setting he, 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 I don't think he'd try and tell you that was a, a great performance I think he's just uh, it's almost like 
you know, managers use these pre and press match conferences almost to link to the next game and whether whether he's, he's, he's trying to just close it down and almost uh, look ahead to Brentford already. But by saying that and then saying we can we can extract a lot of positives, but ultimately, to, to take Adam's point, you know, if it's losing to Leeds at home, who, who turned up with one win in the league themselves without their, their main striker in Bamford, and for long spells, they looked what Norwich were, a very bang average side, lacking in confidence at the wrong end of the table. Um, and for Norwich not be able to be able to get the right side of that, given the urgency that they need to find a win from somewhere. They're at home, they're coming off the back of the Chelsea thing when you know you're going to get a reaction anyway from a set of players who should be, as Daniel said, hurting. Their professional pride has been dented, uh, and him and his coaches for that matter. But for, for it still to be, you know, lack of quality, uh, basic individual errors, a lack of belief. And the most telling aspect of all of this for me was when it went when it went 2-1. Um, there was still half an hour left in that game and then he's made a few changes, thrown on a few tacking players, but it was just a mess. It was just a jumble and Meslier in the Leeds goal. I don't think he had a save to make in that spell when you would have thought the sense of desperation alone would, would have galvanised Norwich into putting some pressure on the Leeds goal. But, uh, you know, it looks a beaten down set of players under a beaten down head coach and uh, very hard to see this changing now, I think, uh, unless a change is made at the helm. Mm, it wasn't under siege, was it? Um, I tell you what, it, it's going to be dark. It, it's just unavoidable at the moment, isn't it? It's going to, we're basically going to be wallowing <laughs> again. Um, there's there's no way of avoiding that for anyone connected to Norwich City at the moment. So let's, Let's nice and early just talk about the one positive, the goal, the moment, Adam. That was a real explosion of noise, wasn't it? When Omapamadeli leapt and scored um, that lovely header and just clipping the crossbar so nice as well. It reminded me of, um, I said this in my video, verdict, the Reading game um, in 2019 when Zimmerman scored that header um, just after Godfrey had scored that brilliant strike as well. And they were all of a sudden winning 2-1 in injury time. And basically that would have been promotion. And then Reading went up the other end and spoiled it, didn't they? So, yeah, that, that moment was nice, wasn't it? Yeah, that was kind of a, a proper centre-half header that, you know, every yeah. fan wants to see, you know, proper sort of old school. And, uh, yeah, I think that was probably the moment as well. Obviously, Norwich have gone 1-0 behind in pretty much every single game in the Premier League for what seems like years at the moment. To then get that that goal that, you know, we didn't almost didn't expect, you know, only two goals before this season. You know, get that goal and it did lift the crowd as well. And I think the fact it was Omobama Daly who... As you say, you know, such a youth player that obviously, you know, fans can get behind because he's come through the academy to, to then go and leap and, and score that header on on TV as well. I think just lifted the crowd. And then it's a shame, obviously, that it didn't last long. And, and that sort of buzz and that ride of kind of joy just, well, well just basically escaped and, and went out of, out of Cow Road. And then the last 30 minutes were, were quite flat. They were. Um, the first league goal at the Barclay and this season, I was just thinking as well, wasn't it? There was some in the uh, in the cup game against against Bournemouth. Um, but yeah, it was almost like a uh, Tim Closer Ipswich style celebration from him, wasn't it? The players were just so overjoyed for him, Pad, that he he'd scored the goal. And that you know, if things had worked out differently, wow, he would have been such a hero, wouldn't he? Well, yeah. Well, hopefully, um, hopefully we see a lot more of him because I think where this is heading now, if it is almost. Um, internally as much as is what they can publicly sort of come out and say. But if, if you're thinking to the future, he has to be a huge part of it because uh, for a 19-year-old lad, uh, he's a fully-fledged Republic international now. He's he's a championship winner, title winner, uh, and he's played in the Premier League. So 
what that tells you is he's got the composure and the maturity. And he needed to show it yesterday because he was deployed to most people's surprise on the left of a four and, and up against Leeds' standout, uh, Rafinha. And uh, and there was a few rocky moments. And you could say, you know, he could have done better on the goal. He got himself a bit isolated. He seemed to be, uh, you know, far too detached from the rest of his defenders when the ball went diagonal and then he allowed him inside and we know the rest. But, but for all those negative strands... The character he showed almost immediately to to, to get his team level. Um, yeah, it's it's a shame that they didn't go on and get a positive result because he would have been the standout story. No two ways about it. But I still think allowing for some difficult moments against a very very good player, probably the best player on the pitch yesterday. Um, for me now, that's it. Diecast. He should be if it's a two or a three. Norwich going to play defensively. He should be one of those because. We keep hearing a lot about you know the philosophy and the culture and about giving young players a chance. There's a man who, for me, has taken his chance yesterday and you could say he was very harshly dealt with to come out of the side after Arsenal as well. I thought he didn't let anybody down that day at the Emirates. Um, so if, if if that is true, then keep him in the side now and and um, and it'll, it'll be for the Gibsons and, and the Kabaks probably to to fight it out to play alongside Hanley. But uh, yeah, if, if, we're, if we're trying to cling to the odd positive, then... There's a guy who, to me, hasn't looked overawed or hasn't looked phased by being dropped into a Premier League environment, as he didn't, to be honest, 10 games out from the Championship run-in, where you know, I remember it was Preston away on that Easter Monday, Good Friday, one of those uh, fixtures where Norwich had all these horrendous fitness and injury issues and he, and he was plucked out of the development side, dropped in there alongside Hanley at Deepdale and he hasn't looked back and, uh, you know, as dark as it feels at the minute and, and as, uh, as, as, as desperate as it feels in that lad, they have for me, a very, very talented young man. And, um, and he's the sort of players, whatever comes next, whether it's under this coach or a different coach, he's the type of player who needs to be central to whatever comes next, because if we feel it's going to go only one direction, they're going to need to connect again with a fan base and get them excited and get him enthused again about whatever comes next. And certainly a player like that, who's who they've, they've moulded and, and brought through, as they did with Aaron's, as they've done with Jamal Lewis and Ben Godfrey and Madison to an extent, and and, and Todd Cantwell uh, until recently. Um, he's He looks to be another one who's, who's in the same bracket. And that in an oasis of uh, not too much to get excited about is, is something positive to cling to, I think. Yeah, he's always impressed with his composure, isn't he? I spoke to him after the game. It's a quite a difficult interview for a 19-year-old in the situation. You know, you're not really going to be asking him about Daniel Farker's future. It's just not not a, not a fair question for for a young lad like that. Um, but he, you know, is Kabak any better than him? Really? You know, I know he's playing for Liverpool last season, and he's played at Schalke, and he's an in international stuff. But you know, Andrew has, like you say, never really let Norwich down. You know, he stepped in into a very difficult situation to help them win the title last year. Um, and I think, yeah, he has got a, a bright future ahead of him. But, and his rise is is remarkable, really. You know, it's like you say, April when he actually makes his senior debut. Since then, he's won, what, four island caps. He's played against Ronaldo. He's scored in the Premier League. So the amount that's happened for him in just over six months is remarkable. And it will be interesting. And I, I agree with you. Rafinha was the best player on the pitch. Um, and, and he did beat Adam uh, Andrew a few times, but he also put his foot in quite a few times as well, and won a few, quite a few of those duels. And he really got stuck into the challenge. So I think I know he was quite harshly 
um, analysed by Dion Dublin and Chris Wilder on, on Match of the Day too. They they picked him out a bit, but I think that was probably more an acknowledgement of how good Rafinha was. And for me, Adam, I think what frames it better possibly, and almost we're back into kind of Jacob Sorensen being at left-back territory last season, do you think Yanoulis would have dealt as well with Rafinha as, as Omabamadeli did? Because I think Yanoulis would have been in trouble. I think so as well, yeah. Janoulis obviously very much an attacking fullback and I feel like he'd have probably been caught you know, a bit higher up in the pitch and you'd have almost been exposed completely to Rafinha running down the wing with no one there to, to really defend against him. So I think in that regard, I think probably Daniel Farker made the right call despite obviously on Bamadeli's not a natural left-back. I think mm. defensively that was probably probably the right move at the time. Um, and obviously, you know, as I say, he, he put in a good performance and probably was Norwich's best player on the pitch, which... Probably says enough, you know, that Williams and Janulas can't, you know, challenge someone who's not even a natural left back. You know, obviously last season Sorensen had to play there because there was no other option. But ultimately, Daniel Farker had two other options at his disposal, and he still decided to go with Amadeli as a as a fullback. So I think that says enough. Pray for Sam Byram's hamstring. That's what I'm. <laughs> that's where I'm going because that's. Essentially, if you look at Yunulis, we all know Yunulis is a decent player and, and to step into a team where we were chasing promotion, that suited him, didn't it? A team on the front foot that are attacking, he's got that sort of ability to charge forward. Although, I would argue he's not really shown a great deal more long uh, final ball sorry, than, than Jamal Lewis really did. Um, whereas a Byram, who's maybe that bit more conservative, you, you think, uh, uh, going back a little bit, an Adam Drury or a Mark Edwave, Edworthy, somebody who's a bit more safe, I think it's probably more what you need if you're going to be in a relegation battle. Um, but anyway, the left-back slot has been a, has been a strange one. Uh, Pad, before we go through the, the key bits of the game, I did just want to get your reflections on the Stuart Webber interviews and stuff, which, of course, you, you were speaking to him for us ahead of this game. There was there was a, a lot talked about last week, wasn't there? We had the finances, we had the Webber interview, Connor spoke to, to Tim Krull as well. So there's there's been a lot of... Um, there's been a lot said in in the past week. What did you make of of Stewart's approach to this whole thing? And and as as well, he sort of made a bit of a rallying call to the fans. And I felt like the 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 Carrow Road fans were were good for the majority of that game. Obviously, it then turned a bit dark towards the end, but they, they didn't really turn um, during the game, other than a few small moments here and there. Um, okay, maybe it's not the whole stadium singing. I don't, you know, I, I had a season ticket in the River End when I was a kid, and I hated it because it was so quiet. No one ever joins in with the singing. It all comes down to the Barclay and the Snake Pit, unless moments really get going and there's big celebrations. And we didn't get that. I don't think you're going to get that with the dynamic that you have at Carrow Road. I don't think you're going to get the whole stadium swirling with songs and atmosphere. I don't think you get that at many stadiums, to be honest. There's normally hardcore areas but in general I felt like they reacted to what Stuart said yeah no I, could, I, I don't think there could be any from Weber Fargo whoever inside the club complaints with with the fan base yesterday because ultimately you know what also, also Stuart said is they had to give them something in terms of being on the front foot being aggressive taking the game to Leeds and you could you could argue that didn't really over the entire 90 minutes, certainly the last 30 minutes it didn't happen, but I don't think the hour before, yes, they, they were brighter and tried to be progressive, but there's still those, those major, major issues in terms of the final third and the lack of creativity and getting players in the box and testing opposition keepers. Um, you know, if Meslier is having to deal with uh, Mila Rashica from 40 yards with a hopeful uh, low-range shot or Cap, sorry, um, Norman or, or Pookie from the edge of the area. It's 
that's not a good, that's not good enough. But anyway, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent. In terms of the fans, yeah, no. I can understand where he where he was coming from. He he, he clearly feels that you know there there needs to be some assistance to Daniel and those players at a minute. And um, I mean, he was referencing the, the the line about, although he didn't name the game, he was clearly referencing Everton away, where I think the away support that day at Goodison were giving it after five minutes, how eh, something you must be, you're, you're only drawing with a sort of thing. And then Stuart made a point of pulling that one out and dropping that in last week, which, you know, clearly he, he feels that isn't what defines supporting your football club. But then ultimately, what have those supporters had to get excited about this season? Absolutely zero, I would, I would argue. Um, so, for me, overall, thoughts on the Weber interview, that, that's just Weber. He's a very forthright, um, unvarnished a lot of the time, and it will rub people up the wrong way. But th- there'll be plenty more, whether it's Norwich fans or football fans generally, who listen to him and think, how refreshing is this, that he just tells it as he feels it is, doesn't try and soft soap, Um doesn't try and put any PR spin on anything. And and, it, and in that regard, the Stuart Webber you get now in media interviews is what we got in 2017 when he first walked through the door. He hasn't really altered how he operates in terms of the messaging that he wants to put out through the media. And, uh, you know, I would imagine if there comes a point at some point where he, he leaves and moves on, uh, I think supporters might probably miss the type of interviews he gave because... Uh, there's no doubt, you know, he tells you as he sees it and what he's thinking. And you might not agree with that as a Norwich fan. Uh, certainly there's certain elements around the, 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 the call to arms on the fan base. Or if I go back a bit further into the summer, you know, there's some, some of the things he came out with around the BK8 fiasco. And, and I, you know, that almost as if sort of the fans got that deal scuppered and that then hit his transfer spending. You know, that's a very brave thing to come out and say. And inevitably there was plenty of fans who, who bit back at him. So he won't always tell you what you want to hear as a Norwich fan but you know I'd be inclined to, to say on this one I think I probably would agree with Farker what he has done overall in terms of since he came into the football club a football club that was on its knees financially let's be honest uh, and, and listing pretty badly you know post Alex Neal post Premier League on that occasion uh, to pick them up and financially put them in the space they're in now what he's done infrastructure wise at the training ground the, the, the commitment to young players and developing young talent. And on the pitch, you know, two championship titles, two tilts at the Premier League, and OK, yeah, the questions will persist about whether him or Farker, for that matter, are good enough at Premier League level. But ultimately, you know, as he always says himself, you know, when he ever does leave, has he left Norwich in a better place than he inherited it? And no Norwich fan, I think, could say different that he has overall in terms of setting a club up for, for years to come. Um, left him in a far better place than inherited. So, in terms of the interview in general, yeah, I thought, you know, you ask him a question, you get an answer. You know, he came out and defended the recruitment. You know, the jury will remain out on that. Um, His own future, Daniel's future, you know, these are all topics that, you know, you could put to other people in his position within football and it'd be dead batted away and you wouldn't get any answers at all. So if I'm a Norwich fan, at least I might not always like what I'm hearing from him, but at least you're getting answers and and you, nobody can accuse, you can accuse Norwich of many things at a minute, but I don't think you can accuse the person at the top of the footballing tree, which is what he is, you know, dealer and Michael own the club we know, but they're very much hands off. He's the man making the day-to-day decisions um, ultimately uh, in the key areas of the football business. I don't think anybody now after that interview could say, well, we don't know what Stuart Webber's thoughts are on that topic, that topic, that topic. And for that, 
you know, I, I you have to think that's a positive as a football club. Um, so, but ultimately, much like Daniel and the players, all the talk in the world from Stuart Webber won't alter what they're seeing on the pitch. And if if it if it's not better on the pitch in terms of the results, then ultimately, you know, it doesn't matter what Stuart Webber says because that's where they're being judged. And at a minute, not very favourably, it has to be said. Yeah, I feel that's where a lot of the sadness comes from because I don't think most people want to be angry with Weber and Farker and, and I suppose some people will with Delia and Michael because that's the sort of dynamic of it all. But I, I feel like it's more a sadness of, that we're realising football has changed and that Norwich are trying, to, as, as I've said before, they're trying to play the same game by different rules and, and now you're up in the Premier League and we're literally seeing it illustrated already that they aren't competing, that the model so far has not worked. It's just a sinking feeling, isn't it? And and an overall um, sort of um, feeling of being fed up with it because, you know, you put all that effort in, you work so hard to win the championship title and they did have to really work and scrap their way into form last season after relegation and all the joy that goes with it. And then you get up there and it's like, oh, wow, this is so hard. Um, I don't know. We're 10 games into it. Anything could happen yet. Um, let's get into the nitty gritty of the game, Adam, and the formations, really. Um, Daniel sort of goes back to a 4-2-3-1, 4-4-2, that sort of thing, doesn't he? So you've got Dowell and Rashidza back in as wingers. We've already spoken about Omar Bamadeli being in at left back. What did you think of those two in terms of the uh, in terms of the wingers? Yeah, I thought, I thought Rashidza, on the whole, at times looked quite dangerous. Probably the best performance I'd seen personally from him. He did sort of try and make direct runs and I thought some of his balls across, you know, actually into the box were generally quite good. But when there's nobody really in there or, you know, Josh Sargent, as we kind of discussed, I'm not sure he's, you know, a man who's going to be wanting a ball whipped in, you know, across the, across the box. So I thought in general, like his free kick, he had a good free, a couple of good free kick efforts. And on the whole, I thought he's probably, probably quite good. But yeah, Dal, again, I kind of felt he got missing at different times and his free kicks would atrocious um i can't really name one one good free kick he put in uh most sailed right right over the top and uh in behind so i think a lot of fans obviously disappointed that jollis probably didn't start on the other side and almost go for it a bit more but but then again i think camp was probably the missing spark at the moment um i think that sort of link between yeah norman and mclean probably is is missing and there's nobody really there to, to drive us forward and i think when you've got a champions league winner on the bench and and camp was not anywhere near the team then you probably got a few question marks about but as attacking presence as a side. So, yeah, I think on the whole, receipts are OK, but Dal, again, not fully convinced he's a Premier League player. Yeah, Rashidza, I thought um, there were some good elements to it, but he did lose the ball so cheaply at points. And just physically, I'm I'm not convinced he's really a Premier League player so far or that he's quite realised it. But he was certainly willing and he was involved. That was probably his best Norwich performance so far. Yeah, it, it's probably fair to say. And, that's not saying a great deal. Dowell, I mean, I was having a look at the stats and he was credited with a shot and I was racking my brains trying to think Dowell had a shot. And what it was, was that terrible free kick that he shanked behind the goal was credited as a shot because it eventually goes over the crossbar, doesn't it? And you could see all the players were a bit jarred off from that. And then he did it again just before he got uh, got substituted, what, with about 20 minutes to go. So he's let himself down there a bit because we know that Dowell has got a good left foot and that set pieces are, are a part of his his arsenal almost, aren't they? And, you know, like that one he scored at Derby at the, the end of last season was absolutely brilliant. Um, 
I thought he he sort of similarly to Rashid showed some encouraging signs, and there was a few bright sparks. But he definitely looked sort of out of his rhythm and a bit um, lacking in match sharpness and things like that. So unless Campwell is going to come back into things next week, then I, I think Dow may get. An, I think they both may get another shot because I don't think Joel has really um, put himself forward. Um, as we mentioned, Todd uh, Pad, I mean, it's not really moved on a great deal yet, has it? I mean, Daniel didn't really want to get into it all again pre-game. He just said, "Yeah, he's missed another couple of games with a with a back problem, and and he won't be involved." So that is frustrating, fans, isn't it? That I, I saw someone define it quite well, actually. That they'd lost Buendia, they've lost Skip, but now they've effectively also lost Campwell. So far, yeah, that's for sure, hundred um... percent. Yeah, no, he basically said he'd not trained for two days with a back issue on Friday. That was Daniel Farker. And then if you take that back to what he said the previous week, that he needs to start putting full training weeks back to back to come back into his thoughts. So that's where we are. No movement. Um, but in the context of a team who are having a chronic inability to create anything, let alone score goals, uh, Todd Cantwell, unlike pretty much everybody else, maybe bar Pookie in the current roster, has at least a body of Premier League creativity behind him in terms of the goals he scored two seasons ago. So he surely is a better player now than he was two years ago, just for the experiences he's gone through. Um, that's a situation that needs to be resolved and very quickly because ultimately uh, Daniel is, is putting himself in a very delicate position because you, you can't, on the one hand, say... Um, I can't consider Todd Campbell, but on the other, you're you're putting teams out on the park who are relying on 19-year-old defenders to score you a goal. So uh, <laughs> that, that is a situation that, in everybody's interest, needs to be resolved very quickly. Welcome to the new normal. Hello, and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant. The goals then, I suppose, we should we should come to. that. We sort of mentioned the, the chances already, but that, that first goal, while you were talking there, Pat, I was just realising that there was a bit of a symmetry almost to that first goal. The way it comes across from the left into James in the middle, he spins, puts it out to the right. It's just like the Leicester goal, wasn't it? The, the one that, um, that uh, Gilmore got blamed for when he didn't make the tackle to start with and then Williams can't stop it. The way he sort of danced past on Mabamadeli was... Um, was, was not great. Um, but the the second goal, Adam, that was that was the one that was really painful, wasn't it? And I mentioned Chris Wilder on match of the day too earlier. He he said it was absolutely ridiculous what Ozan Kabak was trying to do. Now, right at the start of the game, he charges forward, he wins a corner, and everyone and we've seen it a few times. The fans like it, don't they? They get a bit excited when he goes on the charge. But then he go go and you go and do that, and well, I can't imagine what was going through Grant Hanley's head, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, no, we've seen a few defenders in the past. I, I thought Basong um, and Closer have both sort of tried that in the past where they'll drive forward and, you know, if, if only if it ends up well like Kabak did at Burnley and he gets, you know, pretty much to the point where he gets a goal scoring opportunity, then obviously all the fans are going to back that. But, yeah, in that situation at that point in the game where you've just got the equalising goal and Tufade's want to remain a bit more solid and, you know, you probably will get a chance then to try and win the game and then he comes out of the defence and, yeah, tries to become Maradona or whatever he was trying to do at that point. And effectively he's lost the game. I mean you can you can blame Krull for 
probably should have done better with it. Um, yeah. But ultimately, you know, he's been put in that situation because of Quebec losing the ball where he did. So I don't think you can really lay much blame at Crawl's door because he's he saved us from probably more humiliating defeats in, in recent recent games. And, you know, Farker keeps referencing, you know, that these games are tight and, you know, we've had sort of opportunities and fans are supposedly complimenting um, performances and pundits, but I, I don't see it. And yeah, another another chance there to probably, you know, try and get at least a point out of that game has been lost because of some pretty naive, well, defending and, and goalkeeping. Yeah, there's a bit of a hero element to it, I think. It's it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to take the ball by the horns here and, and drive the ball upfield. It's like, well, that's great, mate, but we're bottom of the Premier League and we can't buy a win. We don't really need the centre-pack to do that right now. You know, from that point onwards, Josh Sargent should probably do more. McLean and Norman aren't really positioned to protect that area from that was where Rodrigo was playing. That's where he was, the danger was being threatened. Let, let me bounce it back to you on Krull then, then Adam, because it, it dips right at the last moment. Angus Gunn obviously hasn't really had much an opportunity to play yet. Um, uh, you know, the highest team that Tim Krull has played in, do you think it's time for Angus to get a chance just in terms of, terms of mixing it up? Or is that the sort of thing that you think would sort of show that they're kind of a bit making it up as they go along at the moment in just trying to find a solution. I mean, Farker seems to be back in cruel. Obviously, he's, he's made you know many changes to his starting eleven this season. There's not really been a consistent team like there has in the past where you, you sort of know what the, the lineup's going to be before it even drops at two o'clock on a match day. Um, mm. But goalkeeper, and I just don't see Farker steering away from from Tim Krul, maybe from an experienced point of view, he thinks that Krul in this team, bottom of the league, you know, he's, he's been there before in relegation situations with obviously Norwich and, and Newcastle. So whether he thinks that that's what they need, but, you know, they've brought in Angus Gunn, who, let's face it, all the fans are, you know, going to be fully behind behind him. You know, obviously he's got that connection and those roots to Norwich. Um, and, you know, he's quite a good shot stopper. Um, I think in that situation, he's maybe a little bit taller and, you know, and obviously Angus Gunn's going to be gunning to, to try and get into that you know, number one spot. He's obviously come to this club to try and do that, to compete with Krull. And he's not been given really a fair shot to do that yet this season. So I think potentially at some point, if Krull makes another mistake, you know, maybe it is Gunn's chance to to see what he can do. Yeah, I didn't think we'd be getting to that situation this year. I mean, you know, he won player of the season two years ago. Um, and, and I still don't think we are there, there yet, even though I think he can. Well, he, you know, he did hold his hands up physically, didn't he? And was apologising for it after after the uh, goal had gone in. So, you know, this is probably the time that Angus needs to be impressing in training, because if he can convince Daniel, then there might be the opportunity there. You know, Tim couldn't complain too much, frankly. You know, he's been in the game a long time. He knows how it works. Um, yeah. Pad, looking ahead then, Brentford, um, we... As Adam sort of hinted at there, the, when the team dropped, we were all a bit like, "Well, how's this going to shape up?" Then <laughs> we weren't too. We were trying to sort of make sense of it, weren't we? In terms of looking ahead to Brentford, they've lost three-one at Burnley this weekend, so they've had a little bit of a setback. This is a game that I said a few weeks ago that Norwich are going to be bang up for, aren't they? Because they they obviously feel a little bit humiliated by seeing how well Brentford and, and Watford have done. Can you see Daniel making? sweeping changes to the team is there really much room for manoeuvre I mean Billy Gilmore I suppose would be the big one going back to West London if he's not going to get a chance then there's not really much point in being here now is there I mean Kenny McLean started off fairly well but overall once he got that yellow card kind of faded out of it and to me now this increasing this is the knob of it this you can 
you can go off in many different directions and try and piece together what on earth is happening with Norwich City. But that area of the pitch, you know, bringing Gilmore in, bringing in Matthias Norman, losing Ollie Skip or, or at least returning the sender and not being able to get him back. And and then, so their, their head is in one space recruitment-wise over the summer. But now we have, as we've just discussed, Ozan Kabak, as much as what on earth is he doing as a defender in that position? But he's looking up and what has he got? What is the alternatives? Grant Hanley, some half-decent long diagonals, but mm. too often aimless, trying to hit Sargent, trying to play for second balls. How how we got to this point when you're bringing in Gilmore and Norman in the summer, it just, it just feels that that is ultimately a contradictory position, that you, you bring in a a player in Billy Gilmore, who is the person you see him playing for Scotland that way. He takes the ball off the back three, back four, and he tries to get with his passing ability through the lines and bring the creative players at the top end of the pitch into play. But it's it's controlled, it's measured, it's get the ball, I'll take it back, then we'll knit it again. You know, what they're trying to do essentially with, with Krull when it goes into the defenders, but but they're not obviously going to be as good as a Billy Gilmore on the pitch, uh, on the ball, sorry. So to then take him out of that scenario and and now be left with this essentially long ball operation, it, it just it makes absolutely no sense. And that, I think, is at the root of a lot of what these issues... Because we can talk about, ahead of that, the, the sergeant doesn't look like a Premier League player. Pook, he's not really getting too much service. Rashica this, Zolis that, Dowell this, Campbell that. But all of those are byproducts of that what's going on or what isn't going on in that key area, which in Farker teams in the past, absolutely critical to Farker ball, if you want to put that label on it. Yeah. And last season, we had Ollie Skip in there. We had ostensibly Kenny McLean alongside him. Lucas Rupp had a go. Occasionally, we saw Sorensen towards the end of the season. But essentially, you had that McLean and Skip axis. And I know it's the championship, and I know we're now at the higher threshold of the Premier League, but there was a control. Uh, there was the defensive protection that Skip afforded you without the ball. And then with the ball as well, a bit of an understated passer, decent on the ball, not probably in Gilmore's class. Um, but you also have McLean as well there who could drive forward and, and, and showcase, you know, not an inconsiderable passing range that he's got as well, which we saw glimpses of yesterday. So for me, if, you, if you've brought Billy Gilmore in with much fanfare and you're going to operate him in that role, get the defensive reinforcements around him, give him the protection. Because as we saw at the start of the season, he, he, is, no, he is no use to you if you're asking to chase back and, and try and track Sadio Mane or, or Man City's galaxy of talent, that isn't his game. What his game is, is getting on the ball and dictating the tempo. So if that was how you were going to go, Matthias Norman is not that player. Matthias Norman is not Ollie Skip Mark II. Matthias Norman is a far more offensive, progressive type of player, albeit maybe operating in deeper lying areas. But we've seen already, you know, his, his, his technical ability on the ball is probably better than Ollie Skip. But what he certainly isn't is an only skip in terms of without the ball and defensively and and that instinct to patrol a back four and sense danger and put out fires. All the things Ollie Skip was brilliant at last season. So if you're bringing in Gilmore, why aren't you? If it's not going to be Ollie Skip, it needs to be an Ollie Skip type player. If you don't think you've got the answers already in the building in terms of Sorensen or maybe even McLean or Rupp, if the answers lie outside, which they clearly felt they did, why are you going and getting Matthias Norman? Or what? Or if you're going to get him, then you need somebody else as well to to get almost be Gilmore's minder, as I see it. And then it still might not have been enough, but at least it would be far closer to to a Farker template and, and, and the brand of football would be far more akin to what we're 
are used to under Farker, not yesterday. That's alien. That is a completely alien. That's not a Daniel Farker team, what we saw yesterday. Um, that directness, that long ball, that playing for second balls, that is, and you've already mentioned him, that's Chris Wilder in Sheffield United, guys, that is. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, increasingly, you know, the more I think about it, it, it that's that's where it's falling down a lot of the time, is the central midfield conundrum. They, it's almost the recruitment has been out of step with where Farker's head is at the minute, and that can't be right. And and obviously, a lot of this is now with hindsight, because if, if Daniel knew what was coming back in the summer, I'm sure they'd have rethought it and how they were going to go about it, him and Stuart in the recruitment side of it. But the reality is now that Billy Gilmore's been jettisoned and they've gone in a completely different direction. And they don't they don't have the players in the centre of the park, I feel, to give them the protection and also the control with the ball to the extent that you don't have Ozan Kabak thinking he's the anchor of Messi as he was labelled after his Burnley, Burnley barnstormer. Um, and now feels he, I don't know whether he feels he's got to live up to the reputation and, and, and try a solo effort every single game. But because it's <laughs> at this level, I mean, if you're Leeds, you know exactly what he's trying to do. And as they did, you swarm around him, you force the turnover high up the pitch, bang, bang, it's in the back of the net, three points Leeds. These are the, these are the errors, the basic errors, which at this level define or decide games of football. It's as simple as that. You get away with a lot more in the championship than you will at this level. Um, and until, for me, uh, without wanting to labour the point, until, for me, it's Gilmore back in the side, but with the proper defensive protection around him in those midfield areas. And if you got that, I think at least we'd see a step forward in terms of what they're trying to do and, and maybe joining the dots with the creative players ahead of him. But and, until till that is resolved, then it just feels like a mess. Mm. While you were just talking there, I was just double-checking, but Brentford do play three at the back, don't they? So uh, Gibson will be back available next week as well, um, and we'll have to wait and see how Hanley's groin settles down because he's played through the pain second half, hasn't he? Um, but that you wouldn't have thought Norwich would go to Brentford and go with a four at the back up against a 3-5-2. I could see Daniel matching up to that, and probably it's going to be Omobamadeli with either Hanley or Gibson and Kabak um, as a back three. Then that allows you to bring in Yanulis or, or Williams back on the left. I mean, they play Canos as a, as a right wing back. So, you know, could you have someone a bit more attacking on that right? Could that be Rashidza? I don't know. Maybe Max is, is still that man. But then that would allow you to have that midfield three and maybe go Gilmore, Norman and Lise Malou. Um, and I think Ida as well, Adam. You know, we, with all that we said about Sargent... We know that he's game, um, but is he doing a bit like I said with with Kabak and Omavamadeli? Is Kabak any better than Omavamadeli, or significantly better than Omavamadeli? Is Sargent better than than Adam Eder? No, I don't really think there's much between them. Obviously, Eder's a man who's trying to stake a claim, and you know he's sort of been out in the media and probably feels like he should be playing a bit more. But I'm not seeing anything when he's come on the pitch that's really inspired Norwich to do anything going forwards and I don't feel like he's really even yesterday I mean there was one ball that went over the top and I think gone jump for that and he didn't even try and you know jump off the ground to try and even get a knock on so I almost think that if you're going to try and play that style of football I mean I mentioned it just before we started but I think if you're going to do that you'd have been better keeping Hugel in the building and, and try and launch it long to him and almost play that sort of big man short man combination with Pookie but no I don't think Eda's really pulling up any trees at the moment no more than what Sargent is and as we're kind of seeing from the fact they've only scored three goals all season, that probably even Pookie's not even up to the standard at the moment with with the players around him. So, yeah, I think that forward area is 
it's not the only reason why we are where we are, but it is definitely a huge factor. There's nobody really up front that's, for me, up to Premier League standard at the moment. There's definitely a growing frustration around Pookie. I keep seeing more and more people saying, oh, well, Sargent keeps getting criticised. What about Pookie? What's he doing? I don't know. I mean, you look at that chance yesterday when Pookie got down to the right, got to the byline, cut it back, decent cross in, and Sargent doesn't read it at all, and it flies right through the penalty box. I still think, of the three, if you're going to give a decent chance to in front of goal, Pookie's the one that I'd be selecting of the three of them to try and put it away, um, you know, with all his experience and, and all that he's done for Finland and things like that. Um, and obviously with Finland as well, they they play quite defensively. But this is this emphasises really how difficult it is for Farker at the moment. You know, if he makes wholesale changes, then he gets sort of accused of unsettling things and that he can't, he doesn't know his best team and all that sort of stuff. And if he doesn't make changes, then people criticise him for not trying things. When you're at the bottom of the league, there is nothing you can do as really as a head coach, sporting director, majority shareholder, whatever. You, you just haven't really got a leg to stand on, have you? You got, you just have to accept the criticism as it comes in from all angles because there's only one way to shut people up. And Stuart pretty much said that in his interview with you, didn't he, Pat? That they have to start getting points on the board. They have to start winning games. That's the only way you fight back, really. Um, right. Thank you very much for your thoughts, chaps. Um, Thank you very much for listening. We'll keep the build up going towards Brentford. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll try to keep sort of a a modicum of normality to it, really, because you've got to that the season isn't over. There are still what twenty eight games left to go. If they get a win at Brentford, then you know it, it's back on. There's no, there's no denying it. But it's, it's you cannot deny that everybody that is feeling so down in the dumps at the moment has got a very, very legitimate reason and, and people that want to call for the head coach to be changed and things like that. It's, it's very difficult to argue against it with uh, with the way things are at the moment. But as I said at the top of the show, at least we saw them score a goal at Carrow Road. Thank you very much for listening and we'll catch up with you soon. <laughs>